Welcome to the Bless the City Church podcast. This week, we invite back our friends, Andrew and Melissa Ingstrom. Today, we have some good friends that are going to be sharing the word with us this morning, Melissa and Andrew. They're good friends from Westgate Chapel. And um, Westgate Chapel is a beautiful place where God has been churning a well of revival and seeking God's heart for the last 30, 40 years that you guys have been running after it. So really honored to get to have them share. Melissa helps lead an organization called um, Church Awakening, which is the center of the Church Awakening Conference that we try to go to every year. And so can you just give them a warm, blessed city welcome? Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you guys. You have such a special, special community here. Andrew turned to me and worshiped me. He said, it feels like this place has such good bones, like the, the bones of your church are healthy. Um, this morning, we want to just share about responding to the invitations of God and how to remain soft, how to remain soft-hearted, really. Um, that's a theme throughout all of Scripture, to remain soft-hearted, to listen, to respond. There's this quickness. There's, there's a timing in the Spirit that's really important um, in terms of how we listen how we respond to God. So we're going to be um, sharing from a psalm, uh, sharing from one of the stories that Jesus shared today. Uh, but I want to just begin with a visual. Last night as we were driving home, my, my family, most of my family uh, lives in Bellingham. So we were at my grandpa. My grandpa Claude is here this morning. My grandpa's 89th birthday last night. Married 66 years. Um, and we were driving home to my parents' house in Linden. And it was dark out, and there was this white farmhouse on Hannigan with um, this, it, the, there was this porch light on and this beautiful, really cozy-looking rocking chair just sitting on the porch in this porch light. And I thought, isn't that like the invitation of God? In the, in the dark night, the porch light's on, and the, the rocking chair is just waiting for us to come sit in it with him. So this morning, I just, want, I just want to invite us to let your heart be in a place of going out the door and sitting in the rocking chair with the Father to hear what he has to say, to speak with him in the dark of night or the cool of the morning, whatever it is. I just, I just sense this really sweet invitation from God this morning. So let me just pray for us, and then Andrew's going to launch us into the Psalms. God, we love you. God, we love you. We love you, God. There's no one like you. You're worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of all of our lives. You are goodness itself. God, forgive us for the ways that we turn to other things thinking for some reason that they will be better than you. Jesus, we ask for the magnet of God to respond to the magnet in our hearts and to draw us near to you this morning. 
We invite you, Spirit, to do what you want. We just give you this time right now. Would you move through us? Would you move in our midst? And would you cause this place to be a wellspring of life for the city of Bellingham? So as we worship, just like Jason was saying, as we worship that rivulets of water, the living wellspring of life that's within us would flow into our neighborhoods, into the businesses, in the flourishing of the city would come because of worship for you, Jesus, because of the fellowship of the saints. We just praise you this morning. We give you this time. We bless this community of beautiful people. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't she beautiful? Take your big, take your big Bible, darling. You know, it's uh, proportional the size of your Bible to the goodness of your faith. <laughs> we both have very big Bibles. All right, pray for me. I'm going to try and keep this under 15 minutes so that you can hear from her. Um, and pray for me that God will do the miracle of speaking through a man. Go ahead, pray for a second. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel that, people. All right, all right, stop. I get a little wobbly in the spirit. All right, yeah, I can feel it when it's going. First, let's start with a little dessert. We love you. We are so glad to be among you again. So we're just going to have some morsels from Proverbs, literally just for fun. This is what the Lord had me in the day before we came, uh, on coincidence, of course. Proverbs eleven, ten: The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city. And make it prosper. God bless the city. A gracious woman gains respect. But ruthless men gain only wealth. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy, lose everything. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. More popular translation, wins souls. Ah, tasty, tasty. Your word is like honey to my lips. Let's talk about honey. So I'm going to be preaching out of Psalm 95 today. About five years ago, I went on a walk. Or rather, this time I was in my... uh, Parents, my parents' house at like midnight. I was praying in my in the living room by myself, and the Lord gave me my direction for the year, my word for the year. It was, it was December 31st, and this year it was do not test the Lord your God. 
And I was a man of faith. I was a man of prayer. I was in ministry uh, and, and fully, you know, in the Lord. There's, I don't think I've, I've had a time where I wasn't genuinely with the Lord. But I have also been with YouTube. I have also been with my TV late at night when the Holy Spirit had a better plan and told me about it. And I didn't listen. I have children now. I have four beautiful children. Thank you, Melissa. And uh, as they have increased, so has their confidence. And I know what it is to feel tested by someone who will not listen to you. I don't hate them. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to kick them out of my family. I don't want to zap them with lightning. I don't turn against them. Um, I love them, right? But I'm tested by them, right? So we're going to talk about Israel. What better example of testing God? So he sent me to Psalm 95. He sent me to Psalm 81. Uh, and he also sent me to um, Lamentations 3. What's my scripture that year? Oh, I say it with tears. I remember the gall, Lord. But that's the only chapter in Lamentations with a good part in the middle of it that says, but I remember these things, and therefore I have hope that his mercies are new every day. Great is the faithfulness of God. Woo! So, so I had to figure out what he meant by test God because the, the thing referenced in Psalm 95 and 81 is the waters at Meribah where Moses struck the rock. And I was like, I mean, Lord, I know that you're working on me, that, I, that I'm not following you perfectly, but I don't feel like I'm like that. What? Right? So I had to figure out, what does it mean, do not test the Lord your God? Why is that my word this year? And what do some of these verses mean? Open your mouth wide that I'd fill it with honey from the rock. Okay, let's do Psalm 95. <clears throat> uh, thank, you, thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to go out of the New Living Translation. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock, our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let's sing psalms of praise to him, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The seas belong to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. I got to cut you off there. I got to keep going. If only you would listen to his voice today. The other translations say, today, if you will hear his voice. This version says, if only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, do not harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah. Aha, that was the key. What's that mean? As they did at Massa in the wilderness. There's a... There's an account in Leviticus or uh, in Numbers and in Exodus. They don't entirely line up. They're not exactly sure where Massa and Meribah are. If Massa is the place and Meribah is more a description, so I didn't gonna get. I'm not gonna give you all the research I did. Those hours had to just go away. Point being, they harden their hearts at Massa and Meribah. 
For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. And I know we've got a different translation up there, right? Good, because they're a little different. Okay, I gotta open my wife's iPhone here. No face ID. Here we go. Meribah means quarreling. Massa means testing. So Deuteronomy 33, 8, uh, Moses is blessing the tribe before he dies, and he uh, gets to Levi, and he references the waters there and said, uh, I tested you at the waters of Meribah, of Massa. Psalm 18, Psalm 81, 3, uh, God's talking about it as part of their story. This is my story with you, Israel. I tested them at Meribah. And it says again, open your mouth and I'll fill it with honey from the rock. Which we didn't get to. Well, let's go to Psalm 81. <clears throat> okay. I heard an unknown voice say, Now I will take the load from your shoulders. I will free your hands from their heavy tasks. You cried to me in trouble, and I saved you. I answered you out of the thundercloud. I tested your faith when there was no water at Meribah. Listen to me, O my people, while I give you stern warnings. O Israel, if you would only listen to me, you must never have a foreign god. You must not bow down to a false god. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. Does that translation I read not have honey from the rock in it? Are my pages stuck together? Verse 16 of Psalm 95. Thank you. Wow, I'm having a very strange moment. Yeah, I didn't come here perfect, people. That's not what you went out into the desert looking to see. Okay, thank you. Thank you. God bless you, pastors. Okay, Psalm uh, 81.16. But I would feed you with the finest wheat. I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. They're not the translations I'm used to, but I like them. Okay. Oh, sorry. Here, we'll just get denied. And, oh, it would have been faster than him. Yeah. Submit you to one another. Okay. Okay, so the testing of Israel. What was up with this testing of Israel? In some ways, I think this was a last straw for Israel. This is an important place. Uh, this is a place where God made that oath. 
these people aren't coming. Now, it was after they had refused Gideon and Joshua that God actually said, you're not going in there. Uh, but he says, here, I made the oath out of my anger, you, you testy Israelites. Uh, I think the magnitude of their complaint is a big part of the testing. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, this is where Moses' fleshly exasperation with Israel cost him his ticket to the promised land. And did God love Moses? Do you think he wanted Moses kicked out of the promised land? He's just. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock. He spoke to the people and struck the rock. He was mad. And we can all get it. I think God was mad at them for costing Moses that. But he had to get real with Moses. Instead of trusting God to take care of them when they were without water, or even just asking him for water in prayer, people... They didn't even pray. But they are people of faith. Our own hardening of our hearts doesn't usually look like outright rebellion, but we are also not facing desperation like our whole clan dying of thirst in the wilderness. Right? So there are similarities, right? Their rebellion seems outright, but their desperation was outright. We have little desperations. We have little rebellions. We are, uh, we are still tested. So uh, something I think about, a phrase I've got is, when you're thinking about different sins, uh, what's the difference between some big sin and this sin, right? Well, socially speaking, physically speaking, there's usually some differences. Spiritually speaking, I haven't found the difference. What's the difference between my little testings of God and my rebellion and this big crazy group of kids being like, well, if there is a God, he won't feed us. I mean, it sounds crazy, and I would never say something like that, but what's the difference spiritually when I turn away? Hardening your heart by being anxious and not being still. Reaching for the phone and the remote are more subtle ways of refusing to wait on the Lord. Right? When you, I don't know if you've ever been like really thirsty out in the field. I've done like almost three days without water, and you're anxious, right? But when I just sit in a quiet moment, I also get a little anxious. He says, uh, I proved you there. Uh, it was a proving moment. What did he prove, right? This was a, kind of a moment where he proved, these people are hard-hearted toward me. They had a last chance. Doesn't God give great last chances? He's always giving more chances. Someone was bringing up Saul the other day. On his way to go and murder all the prophets after David was fed, uh, he, he ran into the, he was going to go kill a priest. He ran into the prophets and he started prophesying. They're like, what is this? And they're like, I think it was just God giving him one last call, right? For him to be like, what am I doing? Praise the Lord, you know, and he would do this a few times, but he still stayed hard. A soft heart listens, even to the correction and rebuke of God. So Proverbs in 8 talks about lady wisdom. And it's this beautiful section where she goes out in the streets calling to you. By the way, it's after Proverbs 7 where the prostitute is out in the streets looking for people too. But she's out there saying, listen, listen. I went through it 13 times in a small chapter. She says, listen to me. Love me, seek me. Three, uh, they're basically, listen, listen, listen. There's a few different ways of saying, pay attention to me. She wants to bless people. But she says, I I'll rebuke you. Why don't you listen to my rebuke? Take my correction, right? 
She says it because it's necessarily going to be that way. We're humans. Did somebody go to the wisdom already knowing what she knows? Right? Job himself, God showed up and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't start complaining to me. Did you make all this stuff? Right? Wisdom was there with me at the beginning. A soft heart will listen, but it's necessarily going to bring God's hard word. That soft heart is ready for God to do that. A hard heart is a fearful heart. It's not intentionally wicked, usually. Just one that can't trust God enough to listen and go his way. It pretends it didn't hear wisdom's call. We humans are usually fearful, not faithful. That's just true of humans. I'm a therapist. I work with a lot of humans. It's just true of us. We tend toward fear. Jesus showed up. He's like, why are you people? Here's the kingdom. Here's the message. And then we wouldn't do it. Why? It's just because we were still scared to try it. Truth hurts. There are reasons to ignore God. When he speaks, it's not always easy. When he disciplines, it's never easy. When he tests, it's always hard. When he speaks, it's not always easy. When he disciplines, it's never easy. When he tests, it's always hard. But listen to the wording. If you would hear from the Lord, he's already speaking. It's not if you would cause the Lord to speak to you today, right? Hardness isn't cursing at God necessarily. It's just not listening when he speaks. If you want to hear his words, you already have them. Hallelujah. If you want to, uh, what you do with them is the measure of a soft heart or one choosing out of fear to save their life instead, right? And, and just whipping out the phone is my way of saving my life. So Lazarus says to the rich man, even if a great miracle were to happen and a man resurrected goes to your brothers, they've already heard. They've got the prophets. They've got the law. They, they already know enough. Their hearts are hard. So a soft heart hears God because a soft heart will listen. This is an act of trusting God or of fearing him and then learning that he's trustworthy. Hey? He is good. If you listen... You will be blessed and led to life. You will be filled, though it is hard, right? It's not easy. So, open your mouth to be filled. Open wide. God wants you to open wide. God has so much to give us. He's such a blesser. We fear his rebuke. We fear the self-denial of walking his way. I do. But only his way leads to life. Have you tried any other ways? Did they lead you to life? Only he is good, and he is. He's a giver, not a taker. He came to save sinners, not condemn them. A soft heart inevitably goes on a journey with God. A hard heart has good excuses, like being busy, or even already being righteous enough to leave the status quo. They won't go. Where they have a sense of control, they've got comfort, seeking to save their life. Israel had good reasons. They needed water. They were going to make it happen or die whining about it. <laughs> Ironically, they were a people of such faith that they saved their lives by complaining to the God they refused to acknowledge. Are we much different? God greatly desires to bless us, but we must choose to listen to receive it. If you listen... Listen to every word, every direction, every rebuke, every conviction. 
it will not only save your life, but it will fill you with honey from the rock. Okay, so honey. I'm trying to go fast. Honey is one of my very favorite things. This is a food made by insects that God called good. He called it clean, and it is sweet, and it is tasty. It is, I think, next to water and blood, one of the best substances on earth. I am a beekeeper. I am biased. But really, honestly, people, honey, right? Proverbs 24, 13. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you. And your hope will not be cut off. It's talking about the life that wisdom leads to, listening to God leads to. Uh, honey is actually life-giving, right? We know a lot more about the, the healthy properties of honey these days. Uh, remember when Jonathan took a little bit from his staff and his eyes brightened and he got his life back and his dad went all stupid. He's like, no, we got to kill him for that. They didn't use to farm bees and there's places all over the world where they still have to find honey. It's a treasure. Think about honey from the rock. Honey is a treasure that you find. It's gold. It's often uh, compared to the word, right? For good reason. Your, your word is like honey to my lips. In referencing the water from the rock miracle, he talks about this golden supernatural miracle honey from the rock. I think he's given a parallel. Water and honey. And he wants to give something that's incredible. Water for the body to survive, honey for the soul. That supernatural gift of God, right? Uh, just finished a fast. Man doesn't live on every word, uh, on bread alone, but he lives on the word of God. And I can tell you, many days in this fast, I would just pray and eat. My tummy wasn't filled, but something was, and I got my strength. There was this holiness happening. Jesus said to Nicodemus, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, water, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things, honey? So he wants to give us this honey. It's coming from the rock. I'm like, what's the rock? Well, God's often the rock of our salvation. It's in the context of supernatural provision from impossible places. I had this awesome opportunity to go meet with my pastor Alec this week. And uh, one of the great guys like, hey, I have a question for you. What do you think about this honey from the rock? What does that mean to you? And, of course, he starts out with, like, oh, I don't know. And then he's like, kaboom, you know, like a million years of doing amazing pastoring. He's like, but it seems to me that rock is an unlikely place to find your honey. That it is a hard place where you will find your honey when you listen to the Lord. That it is an obstacle, an immovable thing. You listen to the Lord, you'll go into hardship. Jesus promised that, but fear not. I've overcome the world, and I will give you honey from the rock. So the main question is, what is it to open your mouth wide? That's what we want to do here. We're not here to call you hard-hearted. I am sometimes. I'm assuming you are too, but we see a beauty here, right? We want to talk about what it is to see that that soft-hearted faithful here are on the journey with God being filled with abundant life. Uh, there's a couple ways that I've learned specifically. Fasting's one of them. I had my mouth open. It's mostly to do with attention. When you walk with God and you're paying attention to him, that's when he can give you not 
not bread and water, right? He may well give you, uh, in your faithfulness, a check in the mail or heal your back. Great. Uh, but usually the gifts he gives us are, are words we treasure up in our heart, words of life, things that change the soul. The kingdom's about sufficiency. When the eye is filled with light, you are more content, and every bit more is glory. Glory to glory, more. When you're seeing and looking at what God is doing, when you've got his attention, you're filling your eye with light, and it's just everything he gives you is neat and nice. When the eye is filled with dark, remember that passage? You're doing deficiency work. You're always finding out that there's not enough. You can never do enough or get enough, and you'll focus on doing it all yourself rather than receiving because deficiency happens in the context of your father. Deficiency in the light of God being there. It's the orphan spirit. You're on your own. He has not done enough, and you must take up the burden and try and move it. You'll always see in that light more than you can possibly do. When your eyes fill with light, it's always getting better and people are coming to the Lord. When the eyes fill with dark, there's more than, oh, it's too much. You're getting overwhelmed. But he says, come into my rest. He says his yoke is light. He says, don't worry. Don't think of how to fix every problem. Think of what God has done, what he's doing next. Open your mouth wide. Receive. He's a God who wants us to receive. We're just his children. Today, if you would hear. Not today, if you would save your city. Don't harden your heart. Don't fear there isn't enough like Israel who complained, who tested God. Hear. Hear from him. Don't fear or look at the waves. Walk with Christ in the Garden of Olives and in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? I'm trying to skip some things here. Another way to open your mouth. Be still. been practicing that. I got a word from a cowboy in Montana. It's a story we'll have to skip. It was pretty crazy. He was like, hey, I have something I want to share with you. And he basically says, you go find a tree, you lean on it, and you shut the bleep up. And just listen. And I was like, yes. So I've been literally leaning against a tree, my favorite tree, and learning to be still. And I said, God, be still and know that I am God. What do you mean? Be, and know that I am God. Like, I get it, but tell me more. And he basically just said, you're not alone. Look at all this. I made this. I'm right here. You'll feel that I'm here. It wasn't like, and finally acknowledge me as God. It was more, just receive that you're not alone. So much of it is attention. Just giving him your expectation and awareness for clues and gifts. Knowing how he speaks to you. We call them kisses from God. How does he speak to you? He sends me little birds. He speaks to me through love songs. He sends Melissa openings in the cloud where a ray comes down. That's him speaking to her. I was going to spend a little more time getting people to tell us their kisses, but think about it. If you know more about this, like pay attention, learn about it. And, and every day at 11.11, if we see the clock, it's already passed, um, God loves us. So if you know how he kisses, you can receive a kiss when he does it. If you don't know how, you'll probably miss it. I do not think Israel hardened their hearts against hearing the Lord. They did not hear from the Lord because they had hardened their hearts already. They weren't overtly satanic. 
It wasn't that they were dark and he is light. The Bible is always talking about how light and dark, they're totally different. They're not equal opposites that are fighting each other like the yin and yang. This glory and then there's just sad death, right? If your eye is filled with dark, your body is filled with dark, how dark is that darkness? What I would say is that opening your mouth wide has mostly to do with attention. Uh, I would say that if we get into the specifics enough, you can actually make uh, a religion out of it, right? You make a formula instead of a relationship. I think they're the opposite. Uh, but walking humbly with God, for me, it's literally walking. What is it for you? Where is your secret place? I heard Lou Engle talking about a guy who told him about the whispering place. He says, I've learned that God speaks in a whisper because he wants me to be so intimate and still that I have to lean in and be quiet to hear from him. And that's why he'll whisper. Not because he doesn't want me to hear, but because he wants me to be in a listening. Where do you go to be in your secret place with him? What's that place for you? One thing that you can really do that, that has really helped me is I go through Psalm 24. I go to a secret place, I quote, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, and then you get to lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors. And for me, those are the doors and the gates of the heart. I think the ancient gates are the things I shut up so that I don't have to hear him, and I have plausible deniability that I didn't hear him, and, and that's me rejecting the Holy Spirit, because he's talking. And so what I say is, open wide, you ancient gates. And then I ask a question. And if you want to feel what hard heart is versus soft heart, this, I think, is your fastest ticket to that little moment of feeling your heart harden. I say, Lord, is there anything I'm trying to hide from you or myself? And every time, Holy Spirit says something quick, and I don't want to hear it. And I'll tell you, more and more of the recent years, I've been getting no. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. It's the best. So you, you might, you know, get the, the approval of God. Great, right? But if you are hiding something and you ask Holy Spirit to tell you, he will. He will. And you'll feel that, oh, I don't want to hear it. And that's the hardening. I don't want to listen. On to my list, Melissa. Thank you, Andrew. Isn't that... Isn't that the Isn't that the goal to be exposed before God? I think that question's brilliant because we really want in order to have a soft heart to God, you have to have that vulnerability. You think about a, a, a married couple, when there's something between you, you can feel it. It's like there's something off. I don't know what it is. And maybe we don't have a name for it yet, but there's something between us. And God is always, always, always about that, that intimate relationship where he's like, I don't want anything between us. Come. I, the thing that strikes me, I ask the Lord, Lord what, is, what, what was the testing? What does it mean? What would it have meant for them to believe that they were not alone? Or that they, that, what would it have meant to the, for the Israelites, excuse me, to have a soft heart in that moment? And he said to believe that they weren't alone. 
just put yourself in a situation. For example, I, so I worked for almost a decade at the Union Gospel Mission of Seattle. I worked with hardened people. Not just hardened in heart, but just hard, like, they've been through stuff, man. When you're on the streets for years, you're hard. You know why? Because you're on your own. Because they have learned often from the time that they were in the womb, I'm, I'm on my own here. And you, we as humans have this tendency whenever there's this sense of aloneness within our, within our bodies, within our communities, I got to get hard because it's not safe to be soft here. And I think what God's invitation to us always is, is it's, it's, it's safe to be soft here. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will be near to you. I will draw you near to me. If you would only come to me, that I would not just give you water from the rock when you're thirsty, but I'll give you honey that will quicken you. Um, <clears throat> I want to land. I asked the Lord, okay, well, what, uh, Andrew had this really clear, like, I'm, I'm supposed to speak to this honey to the rock. So I, I went to the Lord, I said, and I have four kids, so um, sermon prep often means you have half an hour. What are you going to say, God? <laughs> and I fear that God's just efficient with me, right, in this season. So I said, Lord, what do you want? And he said, Psalm, tw- or excuse, not Psalm 22, Matthew 22. So I, I've been doing a deep dive in Matthew. So um, sometimes I find that in the seasons of life where you're really, really busy, that the, the deep study that you do in your personal life bears fruit outwardly. So I'm going to take you through, and we'll land here. I know we're probably getting tummy grumbles for lunch. But I'm going to land on the parable of the wedding feast because it, it has this element here of the feast that God has provided for us. And this is what he says the kingdom of God is like. So let's just read it together. Can you pull up Psalm, or Matthew 22? you're reading along in your Bible, Matthew 22, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. And Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, let's just imagine, pause there, a king giving a wedding feast for his son. Imagine the sumptuousness of that. Like, I want to be at that table. I want to be at the king's wedding feast for his son. Are you kidding? Those things last for days and days and days. That's amazing. This is what he calls the kingdom of God's like. That's what he begins with. He begins with the feast. He says, I have something prepared for you. It's a feast that is the the king for his son, this wedding banquet prepared for you. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. What? It seems so crazy, right? But like Andrew was saying, it's like, why am I not responding to you, God? I know your goodness. Like, what is this hard? hard, I think it's sometimes hard-headed as well as hard-hearted, right? But listen to the mercy of God. They refused to come. Again, he sent other servants. He's always, just like you were saying, he's always giving second chances. Come, 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 come back. You won't come? I'll send some more servants. And the other servant saying, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. 
the Father's invitation again to us. Come to the wedding feast. You didn't respond the first time? I'll send more servants. But they paid no attention. They paid no attention. We have been given an invitation. And how often do, does the invitation come and it's like junk mail? I throw away my junk mail. I don't even open it. Like, how many times are the invitations of God such that we're like, oh, I've seen this so many times. I don't know. It's just going in the recycling bin before I even open the invitation of God. They paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. Are there places in our lives, and I'm right there with all of us, are there places in our lives where you go to work, where you go to farm, Farming has an urgency to it, right? If you've ever been with, I grew up in Linden. So around farmers, there's this sense of, uh, I have to get this done because this has to get done at this time and this time and this time. We are so often caught up in our own timelines that we miss the invitation of God to pause. There is urgency within farming, right? There is urgency within our lives to do the thing because I need to do the next thing because the next thing and those people and my livestock and whatever. But the point is that that farmer, whoever went to his farm, he was on his own. I got to do this thing. So I got to take care of it. Sorry, I can't respond to this invitation. The next one goes to his business. We all got business, man. Goes to his business. He doesn't pay attention. And then the third group... They seize the servants, treat them shamefully, and kill them. How often does the, the invitation of God come from servants and they're offensive or they are not the right, they don't say it in the right way? Or we just think about how many people have been wounded by the church who may have been carrying the invitation of God to us. I don't know if that's you. I don't know if that's your story. I don't know if you're one of those servants who got wounded by people who were invited and they're like, no way, we're going to like ill treat you. Or maybe it's you who've taken up offense against another. But the point is not about the servants. And I think we get, we get down this rabbit hole of, oh, the church this, the church that, on either side of offense or offended. The point is the wedding feast. <laughs> Can we please, as a church, but globally, but especially in the United States, can we please get back to the message of the feast? Because this is really about the king. This is not about our offenses against each other. It's not about the, the servants or the, or the people hurting them. It's God's got a feast ready for us. So the king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. Now, I want to just speak to this. There's this really interesting reverse in this story of what I think we think of as our responsibility. The worthiness of the people who weren't invited was not based on their invitation. It was based on their choice to respond or not respond. I think so often we think of worthiness as an internal thing, but I actually think in this scripture what he's saying is the worthy are the ones who pay attention and who come. In the same way we'll see at the end, he says they weren't chosen, 
Many are called, but few are chosen. Well, the few who are chosen by God are the ones who chose him. They chose to come. So there's this invitation of God. So so much of the kingdom is this upside down flip of what we think is normal, right? Like, oh, you've chosen me, so I'll come. Well, the people he chose didn't come. And the people he names as chosen, as worthy eventually, are the people who said, okay, I'll come to your feast from the highways and byways. The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 9, or verse, yeah, this is a 9. I think there's a lighting thing here that makes it hard to read. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the road and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Hear that, both bad and good. The invitation to the wedding feast is not dependent on our state before we come there. The invitation to the wedding feast is not dependent on our state before we get there. He invites the bad and the good and says, come in to my feast. Your righteousness is not, it's, it doesn't happen before you get in here. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was one man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, listen to that. The way he leads is friend. It's just like in the garden when, they, when Adam and Eve have sinned for the first time. The way that God responds to this guy is the same way he was responding from the beginning of human history. Friend, I miss you. It's not condemnation to begin with. It's not, how dare you? It's, friend, why are you doing this? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? I miss walking with you this morning. Where'd you go? Hear this. The invitation of the king himself calls a beggar in contempt of the kingship, friend. This is always the heart of God. So he says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? So what, when, when he says that, what we can then infer is that everybody else who walked in from the highways and byways, who weren't invited, did not come in with wedding garments. They didn't come in. And, and the scripture, all throughout scripture, you think about the robes of righteousness, these, um, these garments of praise. There's all kinds of garment language within the scriptures. Um, in this, as we're talking about the kingdom of God, well, like, what, what is that? What's the wedding garment? I think it's a garment of, that he gives us. It's, I have clothed you in white. Though your sins were scarlet, I've clothed you white as snow. So this guy comes in, he says, well, why? The, the garment was offered to you. We can expect that the garment was offered to the man who was not wearing it. It's not, oh, no, nobody gave me one. It's, it was there for you. What, friend, why are you not wearing your wedding garment? And he was speechless. How often are we speechless when God catches us out and we're like, I have no reply. You know why I have no reply? It's because I made a choice to not do this. He doesn't say anything. And it's not out of innocence, I don't think. I'm reading into the story a little bit. But forgive me, I'm an actor, so I always read into stories. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. 
So you just want to land on that. Many are called, but few are chosen. The man who chose to not wear the wedding garment was acting in contempt for the crown, saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I'm going to eat your feast, but no thanks. I don't need that garment. I don't need that wedding thing. And God's like, that's not really how it works. And also, for all of the 79 other people out of 80 who chose to wear the wedding garment, a good leader says, I'm not going to let this contempt poison the other people, right? How often has one bad apple? I mean, if you've been in church long enough, you know as soon as one person starts grumbling, one person starts being bitter, it starts having ripple effects all throughout. I think this is actually not necessarily just his, hey, bro, this is a boundary. you got to wear this wedding garment. You're out. You can't do this. But I think it's also the effect of a father who says, who's saying to the rest of those who have chosen to wear the garment, it's safe to be soft here. It's a good father who says, I will protect you. You are not alone. You are at my feast. So if this feels woo-woo to you, like, okay, this is, woo-woo is maybe a bad word. If this feels, um, if you're like, okay, this is, these were great concepts. What does this actually mean? Later in Matthew 22, and we'll land here. Later in Matthew 22, Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're all trying to trap Jesus. They're saying, okay, well, what's this and what's that? Well, then they say, well, what's the law? Now, so the reason I'm mentioning this is because we think, what is my garment of righteousness? What is the, what's, what's the honey from the rock that I'm eating? What's the garment that I'm wearing when I enter this feast that you have offered to me? And he says, all of the law of the prophets is summed up. It hangs on these two things. This is just a few verses later. We don't know chronologically how much time passed. But he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. In another passage, he says strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I just want to encourage you today. What, I mean, you think about your heart. Your heart's your affection, the things you enjoy, the feeling of love. Andrew said last night, I think the heart is the, the thing that actually chooses. When you say, put your heart into it, it's your heart that chooses. Your soul, I think, is the thing that experiences. Your soul is the thing that you go to for rest. If you're finding you're going to something else for rest, a good, a good I think, litmus test for how's my soul doing in response to the invitation of God is, am I going to him when I'm tapped out? What do you go to for comfort and rest? Your mind, your mind, your priorities. Are your priorities, are your decisions, is your thought life, is your thought life leading your strength into the things of God? And secondly, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Put up Romans 12. Can you? Sorry. Romans 12, verse 9. This is just super practical. It says the, uh, the, the subtitle in my Bible, every sub Bible has a bit different subtitles, but it says characteristics of a good Christian. So let's just land here. 
do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is this the righteousness that I'm wearing? Is this the garment of praise? Am I wearing the the righteousness of the love of others? So I want to read this, and I want to encourage you to do this. Pick one thing. Pick one thing from this list that you want to land on and walk through um, as you wear that garment. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give to the thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, there is a feast waiting for us. There is honey coming from rock. Honey and water don't come from rocks. They just don't. The king is ready with a feast that's been prepared, and he's saying, will you pay attention? Would would you leave your farm? Would you leave your business? Would you come? Would you you wear the, the, the garments of righteousness? Would you wear the wedding garment that says, yes, I'm here at the feast? But most importantly, would you come and trust that you're not alone? Would you live a life where at every moment you think, I don't have to be hard right now because I know I have a good Father. Jesus, we just ask right now that you would soften our hearts. In the places where life has taught us get hard, you can't trust. Father, I ask that you would shine your light on those places, that you would remove our armor, that you would remove our masks in the places where our faces have become hard to you where we can't receive the soft smile of the Father of lights. God, we don't want to test you. We want to come to you. We don't want to miss the feast. We want to eat the honey from the rock. We want to eat the wedding table that you have prepared. And we know that when we come to you, things are good. So we just declare as a people that we trust you, we love you, we honor you, And we want to eat from your good, good table. Thank you, Father. Would you lead us into life? In Jesus' name, amen.
This message was preached on October 23rd, 2022. For more content, you can find us on Facebook or at blessthecitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.